Now let's continue in praise by looking at the Word of God in Philippians chapter 4. Please turn with me there. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be looking in particular at verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. A penny for your thoughts? It's a popular question. Kind of makes you wonder when you consider those moments when someone's staring out the window, when they seem to be out in space. Are those things even worth a penny? I mean, you just contemplate the the stuff that normally runs through your mind when you're not forced to think about something else. I don't know that you're really going to be able to sell it and make some money. I think of some of the things that come to my mind, and I'm like, where did that come from? (laughs) I, I do wish at some points that I could even record in some way the dreams that I have at night to show people that they've never made sense, ever. I've never had a dream that made sense. But what is a dream other than the things that I was thinking about through the day being recycled back once more? It's insane to think that these thoughts just come to us so freely, so fiercely. We even have control over And yet, I think if we were to examine our thoughts in light of what the Scriptures teach, we would come to the realization that they are worth way more than a penny. Maybe a paycheck. Maybe several paychecks. Because what you think says something dramatic and clear about you. The Proverbs testify, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I'll give you a phrase, I want you to think about it, and I know it's early, but hopefully you've had some coffee by now, but it rings true with the proverb, it goes this way, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. We'll try it again. (laughs) You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. 
Solomon would go on to warn, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life, chapter 4, verse 23. I mean, the power of always being on guard about what's going on in here and up here. It says, with all diligence, with all protection. The mind is a powerful thing. John Milton, in his uh, classic Paradise Lost, uh, says it this way, A mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. Just the mind. The thoughts. Friends, the scriptures teach us that spiritual stability is actually a result of what one thinks. And the mind is the most underrated aspect of spiritual development in our own day. It was actually the uh, philosopher, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., who first brought this to my attention in an article published in Christianity Today several years ago, where he, he points out that the, the classic command of Judaism, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And every good Jewish person and Christian should say, yes, amen. But Plantinga pointed out something. When Jesus actually restated this command in the New Testament, did you know that he added something? He not only said, with all your heart and with all your soul, but he added, and your mind. I'm sure to the shock of the Jews listening, that would be like a pastor misquoting John 3.16. I mean, it was fundamental to the way that they thought, and so planting a comments, here is a change worth a gasp. What if a four-year-old prayed outright, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my brain to keep. <laughs> he said, you would notice. But that is exactly what our Lord wants and demands. He is intentionally drawing attention to the fact that part of loving him isn't just an emotional response or a volitional response. There's something up here that matters. And so the mind, indeed, matters. And so often we are tempted to think that we are at the mercy of the world around us. We can't really help what we think. And yet the text demands otherwise. We have looked and seen in th this particular portion of the book of Philippians that Paul is giving some commands that he just assumes that all Christians already know that no one would actually argue against and that most people would agree with. That's why they don't have much argumentation. Uh, the, the fancy literary term is perinasis. It's just the way that a lot of Paul's letters ends. He's just going to throw out some of the stuff that everybody knows, uh, that stuff that he's taught before, things that they wouldn't debate, but they probably need reminders on. And up to this point, we've seen in his comments that everybody should assume to be true already, that the disposition of the Christian should be marked by happiness, and calmness, and gentleness. This is just like basics. This Christian basics, hey guys, I'm about to sign off on the letter here, but don't forget, 
be happy in the Lord, be gentle because of the Lord, and also be calm because of the Lord as well. There's this disposition thing that you should already know. But then he includes in that, he's not done. He's got a couple other commands that he wants to throw in that he assumes that we already know, that we would already assume to be true, that don't need much argumentation, but they do need reminder, and that is this. They're not dispositional matters, they're orientational matters. And the first one is, focus on the good. And the second is, follow after Christ. Focus on the good, follow after Christ. This is just normal, run-of-the-mill Christianity. If you want to live out your faith as partners in the gospel, these are just a few of the things you need to keep in mind. Nothing mind-blowing here, pun intended, but there actually is a sense in which we all should know that, yeah, it's basic. Focus on good things, fill your mind with good, and then put it into action and follow after Jesus. And so again, I'm not looking to like like revolutionize anyone's thinking here today as if they've never considered these things but the way paranasis works is that you actually just need to remember like oh yeah I forgot this is what I'm supposed to be doing (laughs) so take these as reminders a couple of reminders for us as we're living out our faith in Christ not just those matters of disposition but orientation of what does a Christian orientation consist well, these two things first, this filling our minds with good, the focusing on the good, verse 8. Look at it again in the text. Notice he says, uh, finally, brothers, <laughs> finally, brothers. Uh, in this, like he is assuming uh, that he's speaking to Christians, and he's saying finally, not because it's the last thing he's going to say, but because it's kind of the last of his commands that he's listing. He's, he's given a bunch of imperatives back to back to back, and at this particular point, he actually is going to give us a list of things for our consideration, and I'll stop at each of them, but the first one that you see there in your text is whatever is true, whatever is true. Friends, truth is that, uh, technically speaking, which corresponds to reality. It is the opposite of that which is false. (laughs) Uh, It shouldn't be too hard for us to understand, Um, but it is an important thing for us to consider. It's something that for us to fill our minds with because most people these days aren't looking to fill their minds with what necessarily is true, but you know what most people want to fill their minds with? Whatever they perceive works. Whatever works. Or whatever feels good. We're not looking for truth in these days. We're looking for pragmatism and we're looking for pleasure. And Paul says, hey, hey, right out the gate, look, this is one of the things that you want to be consumed with. This is what you want to focus on. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is accurate. And what is sad is that even in uh, gatherings that would resemble this one here today, people will assemble around Naples and the world, looking not to hear truth today, but looking to hear how to make their life better, how to feel better about their current circumstances. And yet, Paul says, no, think about truth. Friends, this not only includes Christ, of course, it includes Christ, it includes his word, 
but it would include anything that is true, anything that corresponds with reality, whether it be work or science or education or politics. Be aware and careful and wary of sources of information or consideration that aren't true. (laughs) Think about what's true. Think about, also, consider uh, what is honorable, whatever is honorable, it says. Uh, That which is worthy of reverence or respect, that which is dignified. I like that word, dignified. It's the one that's uh, used in the book of Titus to talk about uh, one of the qualifications of an elder. I remember growing up reading the qualifications of a pastor in the King James Version, and it was grave. (laughs) That was the term, grave. You're supposed to be grave. And when you think of someone that's grave, you think of something that's very serious. Paul says we need to think about serious things. That Sometimes I learn well by thinking of the opposite. You know, this, not that. So if whatever is serious here, what's the opposite of that? It would be that which is adolescent, that which is trivial. So he's not saying that you don't ever think of anything trivial or, or superficial. That happens. But he's saying what you fill your mind with It's that which actually matters, that which has substance, if you will, Uh, not the immature, but that which is serious, that which matters in light of eternity. And he says, whatever matters, not just, again, the things that we see directly in the scriptures. He adds another here, uh, whatever is just, whatever is just, that is whatever is ethically or morally right as opposed to that which is wrong or sinful. Uh, that which accords with the divine standard of God. Uh, I think of uh, the word righteousness as it is translated in some versions. God himself is righteous and he commands righteousness in his word. We know right from wrong because he has revealed it in our hearts and in his word. But what this means for us practically is why we would think of of new ways and better ways to do that which is right as opposed to that which is wrong. There's an interesting psalm, chapter 36, verse 4, where it talks about the evil scheming up new ways to do that which is wrong. They sit and connive of how to like beat the system, how to cheat you out of your money, how to get ahead. Think of the opposite of that, though. The righteous, they sit and they scheme. How could I do this better? How could I do this right? Of course, it would include church, but it would include family. It would include work. It would include impact in the community. What is the right way? What is the best way? Whatever is just. And then he adds, uh, whatever is pure. Whatever is pure, that which is free from moral or spiritual filth or evil. It's often used in uh, the, the Old Testament, especially in the Greek version of the Old Testament, to refer to that which is sacred, like we think of the temple being a sacred place. It's, it should be one that should be free from evil. But it then began to take on a more specific usage, and we know, especially from the New Testament, that purity is often associated with sexual mores, being sexually pure. And so it definitely would include both. But may I say, friends, that we, as those who follow Christ, should remember that our minds should be filled with that which is pure. And the reason why I want to come around to this is because I think it's easy for us to forget that we live in, to put it mildly, a rather impure culture. 
If I were to, excuse me, that's mild. Let, let me just say it as crassly but as concretely as I can. I think we live in a pornified culture. And it's at this point, you know, that I'm going to sound like a preacher. I don't mean to necessarily do such, but may I draw your attention to the fact that what most people ingest on a regular basis, whether it be in streaming media or still old school television, is charged with sexual import. I'm not a media researcher. I don't know how to quote all the stats to you, but friends, I have heard them. They will shock you. If you just think of a show like uh, the Dick Van Dyke Show or I Love Lucy, like back in the 50s, where the, the, the producers were actually required by the censors of the day to portray a, a, a couple in marriage as sleeping in separate twin beds because they didn't want to give anybody the idea of intimacy to what happens in our own culture today where it's not even being depicted within the marital context. It's not even being depicted within the appropriate gender. this, This charge of sexuality has infused everything and it isn't just in what normal people watch but now because of things like this it is 24 7 365 i even heard story this week of a third grade teacher who lamented that one of the greatest problems that he has with his third graders is that they're already looking at pornography on their iphones on the playground And that's the world we live in. It is a shock and awe campaign of impurity. And yet, this scripture says, be sure, even though you may be surrounded by it, your intentional thought better go toward that which is pure. That which is pure. He adds to this, that which is lovely. I like this. Lovely, in, in the original language, is prosphile. Uh, prostitute toward with filet, like Philadelphia, the city of love, the city of brotherly love. Uh, it literally means that which tends toward affection or love. It speaks of persons or places or things or ideas or actions that call forth or inspire or provoke love. Uh, used passively, it refers to that which is pleasing or amiable or lovely. And so, Thinking here would be those things, it would be thinking about those things that commend themselves by their attractiveness or agreeableness. One commentator said it this way, uh, these things give pleasure to all and cause distaste to none, like a welcome fragrance. (laughs) Like a welcome fragrance. I like that picture. There are some things that are just universally lovely. A rose may not be your favorite flower. But I don't know anybody that's going to be stamping them out of the front yard if they started growing. (laughs) I think of not only flowers, I think of sunsets, I think of arts, I think of music, and I think of Jesus. We need to be careful not to limit this. So often I think there's a tendency when we're working through this list in particular to all of a sudden confine everything that is mentioned therein to what is in the special revelation of God, but Paul here is actually saying whatever is lovely, 
whatever is lovely. He's assuming that there is some measure of common grace, that, that God still has created lovely things, lovely dinners, lovely places, lovely people. He says, think about these things. Fill your mind with that which is good. And I would just say, I think we, we can miss how common grace can point us to the loveliness of God. Uh, maybe for some of you, friends, you, you could, walking out of this, uh, this sermon today, need just a good old healthy dose of reading your Bible. I'd never argue against that. But some of you may just need to, like, go hang out at the beach at 6.30 tonight. <laughs> Take in that which is good. I'm grateful that a couple of my kids are really into these nature documentaries through Disney. And despite some aberrant dating uh, and explanations of where things come from, the pictures themselves are stunning. And Paul says, if it's good, if it's lovely, if it commends itself to you like a pleasant fragrance, like, be filled with it. Be consumed with it. And then lastly, he says, whatever is commendable. If lovely consists of stuff that provokes our love, commendable consists of stuff that provokes our commendation. But the focus here is on the things that call forth our respect or praise or admiration. It's that which is spoken well of people generally. It's used to express what is kind and likely to win people, avoiding that which gives offense. Uh, one brother said it this way, it is whatever is worth repeating. You ever hear something that's just really good or you see something that's like, I've got to tell somebody about that. That is what is commendable. And he says, hey, fill your mind with those things. And so he has this particular list, and then I want you to notice how he argues for this. He gives a couple if statements. He says to add to the value of this, he's going to add a proposition. He's, he's going to do an if-then. He's saying, look, I only want you to think about these things if <laughs> there is anything out there in the world that is, according to the text, excellent. If there is anything uh, that is excellent. If there is anything that is worthy of praise, if there's anything that we should be praising, well, friends, I'm pretty confident that Paul believes that there are excellent things out there, and I'm pretty sure that he believes that there are some things worth praising as evidenced by the fact that he's already at least given praise to God. And the argument is it's just kind of funny. He's like, look, if there's anything out there that's great, that's good, that's lovely, that's true, and we know that there is, Think about these things. For those of us who would be so cynical as to think sometimes like, hey, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and there ain't nothing good, Paul is saying, no, 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 remember, I'm making an assumption that good things are still out there. God still reigns. <laughs> he is still creator. There still is good. And so fill your mind with those things. The command specific is to think about these things, to think about these things. It, it is indeed a command. It means to ponder, to contemplate, to mull over something, not just quick mental assent or fleeting thought. Uh, the verb tense also is, is a present, active, imperative. It, it should be ongoing. It isn't just every time you go on vacation, think about these things, but on a regular basis, be filling your mind with that which is positive. 
Friends, I would think we could think of it this way, that God expects, not just suggests, but God expects his people to be as intentional with what they put in their minds as an athlete would be about what they put in their bodies. You ever met anybody who is a serious athlete? I'm not talking about the weekend warrior or the dude that plays basketball on Fridays with you at the gym. I'm talking about somebody like who is a professional athlete. Sure, they do their workouts, but the thing that makes it tick for them is what they put in their bodies. The old saying, you are what you eat. And another common uh, just maxim that's out there, I don't know anybody that's, that's disproved it yet, you cannot out-exercise a bad diet. <laughs> you cannot out-exercise a bad diet. I, I mean, it comes in and it will show up. It comes in, and it will show up. That's why Paul says, you better be filling, consuming your mind with any and everything that is good. This is supposed to mark you. And so, dear brothers, it matters. It matters what you focus on, what you think about, how you spend your discretionary thought. I get it, friends, that there are certain times in the day that you have to think about survival. <laughs> now, that would be driving around here at this time of year especially. That's not a moment of what I would call discretionary thought. Uh, when a, a child is screaming in the middle of the night because they may be sick or they may be hungry, that's not what I'm referring to. When you have to do your job, you need to be thinking about your job. But what Paul is saying is when you have those moments to kind of uh, to stare out the window, when those times when somebody would actually say to you, Earth to Justin or whoever, says, make sure that you have a healthy diet of good. Be filling your mind with that which matters. I remember one um, author helped me with this. He said, what we need are the right logs on the fire of meditation. We need to put the right logs on the fire of meditation. He said, so many people, uh, they just take little, little scraps of stuff like like pine needles and small little sticks, and they throw it on their mental fire, and it just burns up quickly. Uh, they, they, they can't even remember what they thought about. It wasn't anything deep or anything heavy. It was just light, fleeting thought, and I think some people do that. They try to think of, like, just quickly, briefly, some good things, some positive thoughts. Maybe they listen to a Christian song, or they read a, a page of Our Daily Bread, and it's kind of like easy come, easy go. It's in and it's out. What the brother was actually warning is that you put the right size logs on the fire of meditation. So I'm going to argue the other end. You also don't want to put anything that's too heavy. We learned that at our house this past weekend when we were trying to make a fire to roast marshmallows and the kids wanted to get the biggest logs that were out there and frankly, they just don't catch fire that easily. I know of some who would love to like dive deep into all kinds of heavy works of theology or take some heavy class so that they can be filling their mind with good, but it just fire really never catches on. And so the brother argued for the right size logs. 
We, we need to be, be challenging ourselves appropriately to be thinking about these kinds of things, that which is good, so it can fuel our, our creative thought for our Lord Jesus, for fuel new ways that we can be living out the gospel in our world and to the lost around us. And so I'd ask, uh, when you think about your regular mental intake, your regular discretionary, let me put it that way, your regular discretionary mental intake, is it filled with uh, the good, uh, the bad, or, I hate to quote the Clint Eastwood movie, but the ugly. (laughs) Paul argues for the good I mean, we know, of course, that we would hide God's Word in our heart. So that could consist of not only memorizing Scripture or journaling about Scripture or thinking deeply on it. I don't want to over-prescribe the method, but what I do know matters is that there is some sense in which we should be regularly taking in God's Word. It has been said that you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. You cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. Friends, there is a mental element to the Christian walk, and part of it is knowing what God's Word says. So that's going to require some investment of thought. But we not only think of God's special revelation, but Paul actually commends to our conscience things that I think would be associated with God's general revelation. What's interesting about this particular list is that all of the things listed here, except for two of the qualities, can be found in other popular lists of things to consider and think about in that day. So Paul here lists some stuff that would have actually rang true with certain aspects of Greco-Roman Stoicism. He also would have listed some things here that would have rang true with popular expressions of Hellenism in the particular day. And then some of the things, a couple, are unique to uh, the Greek Old Testament. But Paul is not, again, confining himself just to the written revelation of God, although that should be first and foremost. He's saying anything that is good and true. He says, make sure that you're thinking about it. And so I would ask you these questions. Do you consistently, intentionally, uh, qualitatively take in these kinds of things? What is coming in to your mind? He says, fill it with the good. He said, Justin, what what does uh, that look like? Well, I think that our main sources of discretionary thought input come from uh, music, what we hear, Uh, media of what we see, and mentors who we hang out with. Music, media, and mentors. Now again, I'm not going to preach a message against rock music or whatever. I'm not going to go that hard. (laughs) But I would say that what you listen to on a regular basis is telling you something. It's providing thought. And so we want to be careful about what we take in. One of the things that I've argued even around our house when it comes to things like music is I consider some music to be like a Snickers candy bar. (laughs) Uh, It's okay to eat, but I certainly wouldn't want to make a diet out of it. What we need to be eating, though, ingesting on a regular basis should be things that would be commendable, lovely, good. And I'll leave that to your conscience. But not only music, those, those things, but I think of media especially because we have chosen, we live in a world where we have now designed what we think about. I mean, if you have a social media account of any kind, and most of you have five or six, 
those are lists by which you say to the world, I want to be thinking about these things. And did you know you can edit that? <laughs> like you're just not at the mercy of what everybody on the internet posts. You can filter it out. You know what we've had to do a few times? I don't take in social media as much as I used to, but it was probably like once every two years, we just do a big old purge. Like, nope, this person's not healthy. That person's not healthy. Don't enjoy that. And like we just go through and like we did it in a polite way. <laughs> But certain people that we consider to be toxic, we just hide their posts because I want to be edified. If I'm going to spend some time thinking about other stuff, I want to be edified. And friends, not only does that work to the negative, you take off things that aren't filling you up with good, but it works for the positive. Find things that you would trust and respect and have them commend themselves to you on a normal basis. Flood your mind with that which is good. Take something as powerful and so as social media and use it for your benefit. So music, media, and then mentors mentors, whoever you hang out with. I, look, I would encourage you to hang out with people who seem to embrace the best of God, his word, and his world. There are certain people, friends of mine, that I've had through the years that it is always like filling up my spirit. It fills up my mind. They, that like, well, I hang out with them and I want to read this book and I want to like research this thing and I want to watch that documentary and I want to listen to this symphony. I mean, it's those kind of people that Paul would, I think, commend to us and say, hey, be careful who you hang around. Just take a page from the book of Proverbs. Think about who you hang around. Now, I'm not telling you. Don't ever hang around people who aren't Christians because we still have a mission. That's what I was praying this morning. We still need to be influencing, but when it comes to discretionary thought, we need to be with people who will help us think the right things in the right ways. So fill it with the good. Watch out for, then, friends, the bad. The bad. Uh, I, I love how R. Kent Hughes did this. He, he took these, uh, this verse and he turned it into its opposite. And basically, he warned the following. Uh, whatever is untrue, dishonorable, unjust, unlovely, uncommendable. Don't think on these things. Think about that. Just think about it from the opposite for a moment. That is where I would say take these same things, music, media, mentors, and then consider the opposite. If it is flooding you with that which is unhealthy, just turn it off. There are certain people that we just don't need to be around for extended periods of time. There are certain media outlets, friends. I know some of you are addicted to the news, but I'm just going to tell you, like you may just want to back off a little bit. Because you know the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. They make money by shocking you into reading their story. I've, I, look, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you could just do a little two-to-one ratio on time spent reading, listening to news, to time spent reading and listening to God's Word, man, we would have revival. It would be mind-blowing. And again, I don't know your ingestion media habits. I'm just saying, I know that the tendency's there, and we look more to the bad news of the day instead of the good news of God's Word, and we wonder why God's peace seems to elude us. The good, the bad, and then I said the ugly. <laughs> what is the ugly? Uh, the ugly would be that which is just unhelpful. 
not everything fits into the moral category for us of good or bad. Some things just seem to be rather unhelpful. It is called amusement for a reason. Ah, not without muse thinking. <laughs> I'm not arguing against ah, amusement. I am as big a fan as anyone, but that is not what Paul is telling us to fill our minds with. There, look, in fact, I would go so far as to say there may be times so that you can think deeply about the stuff that matters where you do take in ah, amusement so that you can have the mental energy and the rest. I mean, like if you're always reading like Plato in your free time, I don't really know that you're going to have like the discretionary thought. I mean, like it's diminishing returns. You will burn out. So there are good times in which you just watch a show (laughs) or play a game or whatever. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying that can't be our primary. That can't be our default. And I think that's where we as Christians go. What we normally know is, okay, I can't take in large streaming portions of bad, so instead I'm just going to find as much neutral stuff as possible because I really don't want to think at all. And you know what Paul is saying? No, 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 fight for it. Think, think, think about the good. Focus on the good. But that's not all. He, he transitions here. Not, not only in this orientation do we focus on the good, but we simply also follow after Jesus. Follow after Jesus. Notice how he takes the thinking and then translates it into doing in verse 9. It says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, what is it that they had learned and received? What, What exactly is Paul talking about here? Well, the learned and received is basically that which... Paul formally taught them. The word learned comes from our word disciple, and it means for someone to basically sign up and be a formal follower of Jesus. Uh, They received the official call. They started following after Jesus as a result of his ministry. Not only does it say what they learned, but it says what they received. That's normally used in the context of the authoritative traditions that were handed down from one generation to another. What is the authoritative tradition that Paul has handed down? None other than the gospel itself. So that's why I say we're ultimately following Jesus. Paul is going to point to himself as the example, but that which he gave them, that which he handed off to them, that which he taught them was none other than what he's been preaching through the whole book of Philippians, and that is Jesus. He says, you've learned Jesus, now live him out. Not only have you learned it through what I taught, but notice the the second uh, few uh, verbs that are mentioned here. He also adds, what you have heard and seen in me. So learned and received is his formal teaching. Heard and seen is his informal example. Heard, those conversations that they had with him when he was visiting the church of Philippi. Heard. Uh, those, those reports and updates that they were getting while he was on the mission field and he would write letters back, what he heard about Paul and how he was faithfully following Jesus amid suffering. He says, you guys do those things, the things that you've heard and the things that you've seen with your eyes. We were just talking about it in the parenting class today, the importance of example over exhortation. That you get who you are, not necessarily what you say. Paul knows that. He lives that out. And I I just, I stand in awe sometimes that Paul is so bold as to say, look, follow me, because I'm following Jesus. 
it makes me think I'm missing something. I feel so reticent to say that. But I do know, even though I'm reticent to say that, I do know that my example matters. I'm not giving myself a free pass on that. And in that, I would say to you, let us all not just be learning of Jesus, but living like him in concrete observable ways, ways that people can hear about, ways that people can see. Paul says, don't only focus on the good, but follow after Jesus. He says, practice these things. I love that word, practice. Uh, I mean, practice what? He's talking about the Christ-exalting, self-denying life. We need to keep practicing this. Put it in to practice. It's not just a conversation to be had. It is a conduct to be lived. And so he is warning them, you will need to put this into shoe leather. You need to figure out a way to work this out. And so basically he's saying, focus on the good all you can so that you can follow after Christ all you can. The the focusing on the good, friends, is the fuel for following after Jesus. (laughs) The focusing on the good is the fuel for following after Jesus. You know, we actually use this word practice in our own day, uh, not just um, thinking of someone like uh, shooting free throws, (laughs) practicing. But I think that the way Paul uses it here, and I would agree with MacArthur on this, is more like the way we refer to a doctor's practice or a lawyer's practice. I think all of us in here, to the commendation of any doctor or lawyer in the room, would respect the amount of learning that goes into either one of those vocations. It's a serious intellectual endeavor. But we know that at the end of the day, it doesn't stop there. They establish a practice. They practice law. They practice medicine. They put into operation what they know. And Paul says, practice the good. Follow after Jesus. Exalt Christ in practical ways. Deny self in practical ways. You've got to figure out a way to translate what's in here to out there. And that is where the orientation takes you. But the term practice is indeed helpful because we know that there is a certain intentionality to the Christian life that I think often evades us. Sometimes we think if we just read our Bibles enough and come to church enough, we're going to be able to figure it out and it's just going to like, like bleed out of us. And indeed, it will work its way out, but Paul is actually commending intentional thought, intentional practice, intentional displays of obedience. I remember a few years ago reading a, um, a popular author uh, explaining uh, what he would label and what has been popularly now called uh, the 10,000-hour rule. The 10,000-hour rule. Maybe you've heard it before. It's basically... Uh, this explanation that uh, anyone who masters a particular skill or excels in a particular field does so after they've reached 10,000 hours of specific practice. Now, I didn't know this. When I first read that article, I was like, oh yeah, 10,000 hours, that's the magic number. And then I realized, man, this is a very debated topic. (laughs) Some people think it should be called the 7,400-hour rule. Uh, but that actually doesn't ring as true as the 10,000-hour rule. It, it changes based on basically how intentionally you practice 
and whatever natural giftings you may have. But here's what's true, regardless. We don't start naturally doing something until we make ourselves unnaturally do something. Anybody that's ever tried to play an instrument knows that to be true. You don't naturally do something until you unnaturally do something. What Paul is saying here, friends, is that there may be a degree of awkwardness, but intentionality in thinking, I will live out these good things that I know in these ways. I will obey. I will follow after Christ in concrete ways. And so, friends, that is why here in this church especially, we want to value the application of God's Word in our lives. You know, we do small groups here, not for the sake of doing an additional study. Hopefully, I covered what I was supposed to on Sunday morning. You know what our small groups are centered around? Application. We want people intentionally living out what was learned. And even if you don't avail yourself of that opportunity we would still have you utilize that worship God and write down something that you could do with the text that day. I came across a helpful acronym just a few weeks ago that I think could apply well to even our own discipline of of listening to sermons and studying the scriptures here, and that is called the core process, the core process. It's an acronym, and it's a way that you can take things that you learn and put them into action. This is what it stands for, call it, own it, respond, execute. Call it, own it, respond, execute. As we take in truth, there'll be certain times where we need to call it and say, you know what, I need that. You're recognizing the what. This is the thing that I need. Let's say that it's impatience. I am struggling in this area of displaying patience. Well, then I move to the O, the own it. Here's why I need to demonstrate patience. Not just the what, but the why. Uh, It it is against scripture, it is harming my family, it is increasing my blood pressure, whatever. (laughs) But you can think of the what and the why, and then the respond. So that's how we need to change. All right, in these or that situations, I'm going to do this instead of that. There is the respond, and then there's the execute, which is the when or the with whom. The when or the with whom. You make it more concrete. Okay, next time this happens in this particular situation, here's how I'm going to execute. Now, friends, I'm not saying that the Scripture calls for a core process, but what I am saying is that it calls for you to intentionally obey. (laughs) So by whatever way you get there, take what you're thinking about and translate it into action. Paul says this is a habit of a Christian. This is normal for Christians. I I would just ask you this. Is there any way that you can think back to the last six months where you have intentionally changed? Is there anything that is different about you today than was true of you six months ago as a result of your intentional thought about Jesus? If not, if not, the orientation's off. You may You may be focused on the good, but you are not concretely following after Jesus because it is not, friends, just a mental endeavor. There is intentionality that is to be displayed, implied. And so the outcome of this, though, is where we can be assured 
Here's the amazing thing. I want you to to take hope in this because this all seems rather instructive and you you hear a lot of imperatives here. and You're thinking, all right, Justin, this is all law, no gospel. All right, here's good news for you. I've got good news. When this happens in the life of one who is in Christ, there is a certain outcome that's promised. And this is what Paul says. When this is is true, when when you're focused on the good, when you're following after Jesus, it says that the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace. Friends, God, I said it last week, but let's say it again, an attribute of of God that is is, is little remarked upon is his peace. He is at peace. He is the blessed, self-existent one who needs nothing and works all things according to his good, wise, and righteous will. And though he hates sin and loves righteousness, friends, he is perpetually at peace. He is the God of peace. All is well in the happy land of the Trinity. He is the God of peace. And listen to that. That God, the God of peace, says, I will be with you in a special way as you obey these commands. He accompanies us through the Holy Spirit as we fill our minds with the good and we follow after Jesus. It is not, friends, saying that he might do this, he may do this, he can do this, he should do this, he could do this, but he will be with you. Will be. It is a promise from heaven. Look, I am just thinking as I pray through the membership directories, I think about your faces, I see you looking at me this morning, I know that some in here, even this day, need assurance that the God of peace is with them in this season. And Paul would say to you, look, just focus in this nightmare of a situation that you may be in, Whatever may be going on, no matter how painful it is, no matter how lonely it is, just focus on the good. And in whatever way you can, follow after Jesus. There's the way out. Friends, when we get in moments of acute distress, what do we tend to do? We obsess over the problem. We obsess over the situation, over the challenge And you know what Paul is saying here? He's already said, hey, when you feel that pressure, give it to the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving. And then he adds on top of that, on top of that, when you have discretionary thought, take it and think about the good things that God has done. And I hate to just sound like some popular moralist of the day, but it seems that in some sanctified way, Paul is saying, see the silver lining. Think about the good. Indeed, there is a storm, there is a trial, but there's still a whole lot of good in the world, and you need to be filling your mind with that. That's when you'll know God's peace, but not only from filling your mind with the good, but from following after Jesus. There is something about the cathartic, about the practical outworking of our Christian faith. It is relieving, it is assuring, it is comforting. You ever wonder why in Psalm 51, David prays after his sin, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. 
That is what I would call the power of the tortured conscience, the one who is living out of fellowship with God. When we are in disobedience, we have denied God's peace to us, and so he says, just follow me. Just follow me. Remember that passage in Matthew chapter 11? where Jesus invites others to come and follow him, and he says, look, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly at heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The options are that you will be slave to something or someone. It will either be your own self and circumstances and the society around you, or it will be the yoke of your sovereign, King Jesus. And he says the options are your way, my way. Follow me, and it will be labor. It will be work, but comparatively speaking, it is easy. It is light. It is good. I am with you. There is peace. The opportunity is merely an intentional thought and obedience to Christ. Why do we deny that? Why would we resist that in any way or form? Friends, I, w- I would encourage you, if there is something that, that the Lord is, is placing on your heart, an area in which you know you should obey, something that you should forsake, some way that you should obey, Would you not do that today and thereby know his peace? I know what often happens in settings like this. People know some ways that God is working in their heart. They fill their mind with good, and now they've seen some ways that they're out of alignment, and and they're thinking, you know what, I will do that one day. You know, when the kids get out of the house, maybe I'll start such and such. Or, or not right now, but maybe next month. There, there is this tendency that we all have to delay. And it may make you feel better for the moment. It may ease your conscience. But you are forfeiting God's peace. Paul Tripp wrote, delay is really disobedience in a tuxedo. <laughs> disobedience in a tuxedo. It, it looks really nice, but it's still disobedience. Friends, stop walking out of these services thinking, I will obey. Just obey. Just obey. I, I end on this note because I don't want anyone here that's not in Christ to think that, okay, I know what to do. I'm clear. I'm just going to start focusing on good things. And I'm just going to start trying really, really hard to do what Jesus wants me to do, and all will be well. My friends, Paul is giving instructions to people who know his prior teaching. Can I just clue you in on his prior teaching really quick, lest you misapply this? He has exhorted and made clear that the only people who can indeed enjoy this peace of Christ have a relationship with God the Father on account of what Jesus has done alone. It's simple. It really is simple insofar as it it consists of you uh, turning from your sin and your rebellion against God and and trusting in Christ and Christ alone for that salvation and rescue and peace. 
turning from your sin, trusting in what Christ has done. He, he has lived to accomplish righteousness for you. He has died to satisfy God's wrath for all the ways that you have rebelled against him. You deserved eternity in hell on account of your sin. He satisfied that, and he rose again, showing that you too could enjoy the hope of eternal life. And how do we respond to that? It is by repenting of sin, relying on him alone, and then we begin focusing on the good and following after Jesus. Jesus. Please don't miss the important context. And so I would say that this promise of peace extends to you if you would but submit to the Lordship of Jesus, if you would but rely on Him in faith. You say, yep, done that, been there, awesome. Now, this week, you may need an audit of your discretionary time and thought, but focus on the good. Follow after Jesus, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, continue to fill our minds with good. The good from your word, the the good from this world. We get so easily overwhelmed by the negativity, by the pressures, the stress, the, the sin that is so dominant in this world. And yet you intend for us to focus on these good things as fuel so that we can follow after you in intense and concrete ways. Lord, mark us by this type of intentionality and obedience. Forgive this congregation wisdom as they discern their discretionary thought as they audit it, as they take account of it. And may we be able to say, at the end of this day, that we have brought all thoughts into the captivity of Christ under his subjection and lordship. So feed us with good this day. Even for those who do not yet know you, who haven't yet repented and relied on you, pray that they would come under the gentle yoke of Jesus today, that they would know his lordship, that they would be saved. And for the rest, keep us thinking of good, even when we fail, even when we falter, even when we get fuzzy and start looking at the wrong things. May we take assurance in knowing that all is well because you hold on to us in Christ. But as we walk out these doors today, as we sing this final song of assurance I pray that this, this positive thought would, would fuel our intentionality uh, for Christ after the service, the remainder of this day, into this week. May we focus on that which is good so we may follow after Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.